from being on ambiguity. Uh, and we like questions answered. But I want to live and be relevant. And questions are what we get sometimes. So this is for, our, for us who are living, and it is our blessing for this day. Our sermon this morning is entitled, God Knows. Reproductive choice and the gift of free will. God knows. Reproductive choice and the gift of free will. Will you pray with me? And now, God, we've come to this place and to this time because of your providential care for us. We've come here and we are among we are among the family of God. We are with each other because your Holy Spirit has led us. This is our belief, God, that you lead us as the Son has told us and you guide us while we run this race. Now, God, continue to lead and guide this morning. Touch me and use me for your service this morning. Send your Holy Spirit to Anoint me, season my words with truth and with grace, and help us, dear God, to hear what your word will have for us. And God, help us to rest in the questions of life and of your Holy Spirit. Bless now, this that people gather here, and on those who are joining with us through live stream. Live stream. This is my prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I do hope that live spring is a live spring. <laughs> An ocean liner leaves New York bound for Liverpool. Its destination has been determined by the proper authorities. Nothing can change this. This is at least a faint picture of sovereignty. On board the liner are scores of passengers. These are not in chains, neither are their activities determined for them by decree. They're completely free to move about as they will, sort of as when you're in the plane, you may now, you're free now to move around the plane. They eat, they sleep, they play, they lounge about on the deck, read, talk about, and all together as they please. But all the while, the great liner is carrying them steadily towards a predetermined Port. Both freedom and sovereignty are present here, and they do not contradict freedom and sovereignty. So it is, I believe, with man's freedom, with humankind's freedom, and the sovereignty of God, the mighty liner of God's sovereign design keeps us keeps its steady course over the sea of history 
end quote. These are the words of the late Christian pastor, A.W. Tozer. Friends, do human beings really have free will? Or are we prisoners on a kind of divine ocean liner going about our days thinking we are in complete control of our lives? Are we really free to choose to make decisions concerning our lives? Or are the decisions we make already part of a grand narrative about the world predestined and controlled by God, who ultimately is sovereign, who ultimately has all power. The illustration I gave you has weaknesses, of course. For instance, you and I know that the destination of a ship may be interrupted and changed by weather may be changed by mass sickness as some ocean liners' destinations were at the start of the pandemic. Or it may be changed by mechanical failure. But was that change, was that interruption already determined by a sovereign God who has complete control of all things, including our lives? And if that is the case, is sovereignty the enemy of free will? Or can the two really coexist? Got questions this morning. And then just because I'm in the mood for questions, my friend, if God has given us free will, why would God Add the dynamic of reward and punishment with this precious gift of free will. As a Methodist, well, even before becoming a Methodist, I believe that every human being had the right to make decisions about their lives. It wasn't until I started studying theology that I began to understand this right, this free will as a gift from God. The most intriguing idea being that God who has all power, God who is everywhere always at the same time, God who is all-knowing and from whom all power is derived has decided to stay God's sovereign control to hold back God's sovereign control in order to allow humanity to make decisions about our lives. And even knowing the outcome of those decisions, God has given us the gift of free will and refuses to intervene to keep us from making bad decisions. But this theology, this way of thinking about God, gets messy when I think about the story of the woman in the Garden of Eden. And I've allowed it, I've asked her to stay up there so you all can follow me this morning. 
the, the, the serpent that has been created by God. The serpent has been created by God. And it gets messy as I think about the freedom that God has given the woman as told in the first chapter of Genesis, where God says to human beings, see, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. But in another version, God places one limit in this bountiful land. God warned, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat, you shall die. It's in the text. When the woman tells the serpent, the animal that was created by God, that they are forbidden to eat or touch the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. Because you shall die. Then one interpretation that human beings have walked away from this text thinking is that God has said, has said you will die as soon as you eat this fruit. And this is the interpretation that seems like the serpent is addressing, isn't it? Or is it? Another question, will they die because they eat the fruit or because they touch the fruit? I'm going to mess with some of y'all this morning. <laughs> Y'all been on that little myth about she ate the fruit. But in the text it says, the woman says, that God has told them that they will die when they eat the fruit or touch the fruit. If you read the previous chapters, you'll realize that God never told them that they would die if they touched the tree. Only if they ate from it. We humans really have a way of embellishing stuff, don't we? <laughs> so when the woman is talking to the serpent, we can kind of take this as a literary embellishment. Not only will you die if you eat the fruit, but you'll die if you touch it. Frankly, it doesn't matter because the serpent's response to the woman is, well, true. The serpent said, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now I see some of you are a little puzzled when I say that the serpent didn't lie. Because we've been taught a particular interpretation of the scripture. The serpent says you will not die when you eat of the tree. And sure enough, the question then for us becomes, how did the serpent know? Who gave the serpent this knowledge? How did he know? Sure enough, when they took the fruit and they ate, bingo, the serpent, or the serpent, they did not die. 
don't step, don't go too, don't, don't move ahead too quickly with your interpretations, church. When they ate of the fruit, they did not die. And they immediately knew the difference between good and evil. Now I say they because the man was right there with the woman. I know you've seen, you've read stories where she goes to the man, dismiss that interpretation, read the text as the text right now. When she ate of the fruit, where was the man? The text says the man was there with her. Okay? Right there with the woman at the point when she decided to eat the forbidden fruit. Now, I promise you, one thing that Dr. Lice is not trying to do this morning, I am not trying to redeem this serpent. <laughs> but this serpent, whose words make me wonder about just how much or how little freedom to choose human beings really have, is there for us to ponder about you. This serpent. What I am trying to do initially with the serpent, the sermon, my friend, and the sermon, perhaps, is help us to think seriously about how we interpret scriptures in ways that make us feel good and make us demonize other people. I want us to think about how we walk away from scripture with interpretations that make us feel so good and that throughout history, this is Black History Month, the text has been used to beat and to oppress and to harm people. I want us to think about the ways we open up the Bible. And at times, we say it's sacred, it is what it is, it says what it says, and we ought to obey every little word, literal word in the text. I want to problematize that for us this morning. Because as human beings, we interpret it in ways that are comfortable for us. None of us go to the text, tabula rasa. None of us open up the text without the context of our lives before us as we read the text. So we read into the text according to our lives. And we cherry pick scriptures. <laughs> now I've said this before in churches if you think I'm lying how many of you ate shrimp yeah <laughs> you check your, 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 your label on your clothing you're probably wearing mixed materials you cherry pick scriptures our country has a history of people resourcing scriptures to oppress others because this story has been repeatedly used to discuss pregnant, capable people's abortion rights, then I think it's incumbent upon us this morning, friends, to sit with this very complex pericope and meditate this morning on the behavior of the characters in this text, as well as the behavior of the divinity as told by the author or the authors of this text. In this case, with this scripture,
obeying God, but I want you to open your eyes and see that this text also asks us to ponder. It moves us, if we're reading it, to ponder this question. What did God know and when did God know it? Only God knows. Are you comfortable with that? Only God knows. Many have said this decision made by the woman, and might I add by the man, <laughs> was wrong. But was it? Or dare we even question whether it was wrong for loving all-knowing God, to prohibit human choice, knowing full well that they would disobey. Ouch. I heard that feel, I, I felt that theological, you know, discomfort among you all. <laughs> Dare we question this God who, at least in this text, did not give the humans full information so that they might make the best decisions for their lives. Information was withheld. Why did or does God withhold information? Does God's knowing, God's omniscience make ineffectual the gift that we call free will. Was the gift of choice simply a ruse given by an uncaring God knowing that they would disobey and knowing that they would be punished? I don't think so. I'm of the mind that the gift is even more precious, my friends. Even more precious is this gift because God allows us to continue making decisions for good or for bad and never ceases to love us even when we choose decisions that God might not want for our life. God knows and yet God loves us. Because God, who created the God, is capable in God's being to know and to love. God knows us, and yet God allows us free will. Sort of like a parent. You know those babies. You know when they leave the room that they will get into some stuff. And yet you leave the room. And yet you leave the room. You allow them to make decisions about their lives. It is the gift of God, this free will, that no human being can deny unless they enact measures to constrain the other human being. God knows. And God allows us free will, even as this first recorded lesson in Scripture. This lesson is about 
a life or death decision. And this lesson reveals that God knows and yet God allows. God knew the man and the woman and placed the power of the quality of their lives into their hands. God knew and God gave this blessed gift of free will. And after they have chosen, God does not leave them. After they have decided, God does not leave them. After they have disobeyed, God does not withdraw from them. From them. After they have chosen, God comes to them. Humans have been making tough decisions for a long time, y'all. Today we made decisions. Some of you will leave here today. Many of you, all of us, will leave here today and have a multitude of decisions to make. Some will be easy, or so we think. And some will be tough, or so we think. And yet God knows and God has given, God has given free will, given the capacity to consider the direction, given the the capacity to consider what we desire of our lives and shown us that no matter our decision, no matter our decision, no matter how we decide, God has promised through Jesus the Christ that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Whither shall I go from your spirit? Whither shall I flee from you? If I send into the heavens, there you are, right there with me. And if I make my bed in show, if I make my bed in hell, dear God, you shall be with me. The first major decision, my friends, according to the story, was one about this woman's life, one about her body, one about the way she wanted to live quality of her life and her right to even do, if what God was said was true, would bring death. This is the gift of free will indeed. And God knows. God knows that God knows that humanity will make good choices and bad choices. And yet God allows the choices to be made. God knows, friends, but we do not know. And yet we won't stay in our land. God knows the choices that we will make for our lives. But we do not know what is ahead for our fellow human beings. And yet, humanity's propensity to oppress and to deny choice. Neither the serpent nor the human beings knew the consequences. God knew and God knows. Perhaps the truest we can say about free will is that only God knows. And we as humans are here just trying to make the best decisions we can make for our lives with the best information about the choices that are presented to us. Pregnant, capable people, because we're talking about reproductive justice this month. Pregnant, capable people all over this country 
are trying to make the best decisions they can for their one beautiful life. Many are trying with little income to make the best decisions they can for their lives and the lives of their loved ones. They are trying with little access to medical care to make the decisions that they can for their well-being. They are trying in the midst of political legalized prescriptions about their bodies to make decisions about whether to have a child that politicians insist on one hand must be born, but on the other hand care little to nothing about once born. This being Black History Month, let us remember the black capable, pregnant capable people who are trying to decide about the logic of bringing a child into this world that will be at risk of being killed by state-sanctioned, militarized, and anti-black policing. Let us remember the reproductive rights decisions that were made by persons like political giant Barbara Lee, who chose to have an abortion. Let us remember, if we can, the history of the unnamed enslaved women who did all they could not to bring a child into this world as a slave. Let us remember the great ancestor black woman, Fannie Lou Hamer, who while undergoing surgery to remove a uterine tumor was given without her consent, by the, without her consent, was given a hysterectomy, denied her choice, and given a hysterectomy, never able to have children. That choice was taken from her. Let us be mindful about the history of the ways and the decisions about our bodies that have been made. And as I conclude, if I've not given you enough questions, if I've not troubled you enough this morning, my friends, I remind you that our ministry as a church, if it is to be a church, if it is to be part of the body of Christ, if it is to be a loving and gracious ministry, is to be in ministry and support for human beings who are just trying to make the best decisions through the gift of free will that God has given them. To remind you that our task is to be a gentle and loving presence in the lives of pregnant, capable people. And to be gentle with ourselves